Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, powered by Advanced Takedown Tree Stands, episode number 199. Josh and Kristen McDaniel, deer hunting's journeyman and shooter's archery. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's show is sponsored by Advanced Takedown Tree Stands, Covert Scouting Cameras, The Horny Buck Seed Company, The Euro Hanger, and Morse's Sporting Goods. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey guys, this is Laurie Eakin with the Hunting Widow Podcast, and you're listening to the Big Buck Registry, my second favorite podcast. This is Rob Richardson from the New Hampshire Shadowhunters Club. You're listening to my favorite podcast of all time, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. This is Shannon Hart from Miss Wild Game, and you're listening to my favorite podcast, the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registries Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm psyched that you're tuning in right now, and it's just, you know, it's music to my ears to know that somebody else is listening to this show, and as we do each and every week, and by, by we, I mean me and my good friend Dusty Phillips from Ohio, we try to deliver the best content we possibly can so that you can increase your hunting skills to its utmost performance, and Dusty Phillips is sitting right here with me right now from podcast studio south uh, what's going on my friend uh turkey season is upon us i'm trying to throw my second tag here in ohio jay man the weather's starting to get right and it's real close to making some hay time that uh, hay time is right around the corner it certainly is i want to let everybody know that we're still doing the harness program we've got a few coming in and actually need some recipients now so if you're in need of a tree stand harness i know it's a little early to think about deer hunting but if you are in need we do have some coming in, so shoot me an email, j at bigbuckregistry.com. Dusty, what do you think about when I say the words lipstick and polished nails and groomed hair? Do you think, like, calculated deer killer? I think city slicker. City slicker, exactly. That's what I would normally think, but this week's guest is a, a, kind of the antithesis to that. Uh, we, we're speaking with Josh and Kristen McDaniel, and if you don't know who they are... We bumped into them at the SHOT Show in Vegas this year, and turns out Josh is a podcast fan, and he had never heard of us, but he does now. Not only that, but now he's been a guest on our show as of this week, and Kristen learned to deer hunt from Josh. Josh is hunting some some massive deer along with Kristen in the Illinois, Indiana, Kansas area, and now Kristen, who is a uh, former cheerleader and uh, self-proclaimed girly girl, likes to get down in the mud and, and belly crawl and shoot some big uh, deer and turkeys like Josh. So don't judge a book by its cover. It's amazing how you go from living in the city, Jay, to loving the the woods and the outdoors. That's, uh, you know, and it's not only just uh, something that comes from the city, but anybody else that's not an outdoorsy type, you know, if you, if you take the time and put the effort into it, the outdoors will convert you over. 
That's a fact. It, it actually will. I, I think you should at least give it an opportunity if you've never actually tried it. And to anybody who is listening who is a diehard deer hunting fan, there are many little trinkets in the show. So stay tuned because Josh has some insights that you might want to add to your bag of tricks that uh, you may not have heard of. So uh, stay tuned for that. But before we get to Josh and Kristen, let's turn to Jim Keller with the deer news. The deer news this week is sponsored by the Eurohanger. You don't have to spend big bucks to hang your big buck. Get yourself a Eurohanger. Facebook.com forward slash Eurohanger, E-U-R-O-H-A-N-G-E-R. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story this week, threat of moose killing tick infestation looms as far north climate warms. This story was originally featured in the Alaska Daily Dispatch News website and was written by Yerith Rosen. A small but dangerous parasite, the winter tick, is spreading north and west as winters become shorter and now is knocking on Alaska's border. The winter tick, which has already devastated moose populations in New England and the upper Midwest, has been confirmed in Canada's Yukon Territory and in the Northwest Territories, where it's infecting elk, mule deer, and some moose. For moose, the winter's tick effects can be gruesome. The ticks gather in the fall on forest plants, latch onto passing animals, and stay there through the winter, swelling to the size of grapes as they feed off their host's blood. Tens of thousands of ticks can latch onto a single moose. They make the moose itchy, uncomfortable, and prone to spending a lot of time and energy scratching, sometimes rubbing away fur, and too little time eating. Infestations are most dangerous for calves, which are already vulnerable to the winter. The average tick load on an infested moose is 40,000, and some have been found with 90,000, said Peter Perkins of the University of New Hampshire, one of the lead scientists studying the disastrous impacts of winter ticks on the New England moose. A load of more than 40,000 ticks will use up a calf's entire blood supply in about four weeks. Adult moose are more likely to survive, but reproduction can be affected with far fewer cows giving birth to twins. Although elk and deer are also infected, they are less harmed by the ticks because they groom their bodies regularly and are better to able remove the parasites. The Yukon wildlife winter ticks have been most prevalent so far among elk, though they are found on moose and deer territorial officials report. Alaska is already home to some ticks, but contrary to occasional assertions that the state is tick-free. Continued reintroduction of Mexican gray wolves clears hurdle in New Mexico. This story was featured on the Outdoor News website. A federal court on Tuesday removed an obstacle to the U.S. government's plan to release more endangered wolves in Mexico over the state's objections, but it was not clear whether additional animals would be reintroduced under the Trump administration. The state game and fish department is disappointed, but it will be pursuing the case in federal court in New Mexico, where it was originally filed. Fish and Wildlife spokesman Jeff Humphrey said the agency was still reviewing the decision. Despite the ruling, it wasn't immediately known whether the wolf releases would resume. President Donald Trump has slowed or reversed other environmental initiatives since taking office in January, when the appeals court was considered was considering the wolf case. And many Republicans in control of Congress have long objected to parts of the Endangered Species Act, which is legal authority for reestablishing the Mexican gray wolf and other animals. Protected status under the act usually brings restrictions on ranching, mining, and other activities. Only a 
about 110 Mexican gray wolves live in the wild. They nearly disappeared in the 1970s, and the federal government added them to the endangered species list in 1976. The Fish and Wildlife Service began reintroducing them to parts of their original range in New Mexico and Arizona in 1998. The government appealed. The Tenth Circuit says New Mexico failed to show that the state would suffer imperable harm if more wolves were released, a requirement for such an order. The appeals court didn't address any questions, including whether New Mexico would likely win a lawsuit over the dispute. Wolf reintroduction programs are always contentious because of the threat the predators pose to livestock and wild game favored by hunters. Last year, the Interior's Department Internal Watchdog said Fish and Wildlife had not fulfilled its obligations to remove Mexican gray wolves that preyed on pets and cattle. New Mexico officials also complained that the federal government tripled the target number of wolves in the wild from about 100 to 300 without sufficient justification. Teen who jumped into a fish tank at Bass Pro Shops could face charges. This story was originally featured on the Denver Post website and was reported by Tom McGee. A juvenile who jumped into a fish tank at Bass Pro Shops at the shops in Northfield Stapleton on Saturday, injuring his head, may face charges if his actions damaged the tank or hurt the fish, Denver police said Sunday. A manager at the store refused to comment and a company representative didn't return a call Sunday. The boy jumped from an upper bridge into the main fish tank in the center of the store about 5 p.m., according to an employee who didn't want to, his name to used because he is not authorized to speak for the company. He said the boy's friends took a video of the jump. The boy hurt his head but wasn't taken to a hospital. Investigators have asked to speak with the boy and his parents. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Dear News. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at bigbuckregistry.com. If you have any questions about future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. The Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here's Josh and Kristen McDaniel. Josh and Kristen McDaniel, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friends? Good. Good. How are you guys doing? Doing very well, thank you. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and t- touching base off of our, our visit that we had at Shot Show in Las Vegas, and uh, we we were destined to have you on the show at that point. We uh, we kind of hit it off. Yep. Yeah. Man. yeah. The pleasure's ours, man. I'm a big uh, big podcaster, so I'm pretty uh, stoked about this. Well, when we were having that conversation at the Realtree booth, I was pretty psyched uh-huh. to hear you say, hey, yeah, I, I, I dig podcasts. made me feel very good because not everybody that I talk to knows what the heck a podcast is, first and foremost. But, that, <laughs> but the, the fact that we had a, a deer hunting podcast made it even better. So I, I'm, I was very excited oh, yeah. to meet both of you. Shoot, shoot yeah, man. Yeah, we, uh, you know, I love to work out and uh, listen to podcasts and then drive and I don't listen to a whole lot of radio. I prefer to listen to podcasts. That's why I was kind of shocked I hadn't heard you guys as yet. I, I was shocked too. I was shocked too. I guess we have some work to do. Dusty and I need to you know, start, start uh, knocking on doors or something. we got to hit the hit the pavement and, and get out there and spread the word some more. Well, I have caught up on them since we had that conversation, though, so that makes you feel any better. It does, actually. But I'm glad somebody's listening. I'll smack him for you. Yeah. Thank you. I, Excuse I, me a lot. I'm, I'm sure you're in close proximity, so you should be able to oh, yes. land a good one. Well, yeah. lucky for him, my right hand's out of commission right now yeah, so for been, a little bit. I've been so. loving it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what uh, what happened there, Kristen? Uh, I got in a car wreck um, it's in February, 
it was a month month before my first turkey hunt, and um, it was I wrecked my Mustang. I had a bright yellow uh, convertible Mustang that was just my baby. I had it for eleven years. I barely let Josh drive it, <laughs> but he was just glad it was me and not him. But gotcha. But anyway, um, but yeah, it was almost a head-on collision. Um, I was going down a highway, and a lady was turning into a business, and um, it was actually the uh, the local butcher shop that we take our deer to to get processed. <laughs> Um, anyway, she was turning into there and turned right in front of me and, and I thought at first I was fine and no big deal. And, uh, we went to the emergency room and got my hand x-rayed and they said it was just, uh, sprung real bad, no big deal. And, uh, in the emergency room, Josh was actually looking at crossbows, uh, some KMXs that would be perfect for turkey season. And I was like, no, no, I'm like, I got a month, I'll be fine. And, um, two weeks later, it just wasn't getting any better. And I went to the doctor and we found out it was uh, fracture in three places and had some bone broke off and I was all upset wasn't I, I yeah, was she telling, was pretty bummed out. yeah they oh, were wow. like you're gonna have a cast from your fingertips all the way to your elbow and I was just crushed I mean anybody you know as a bow hunter I mean that's just devastating to find that out like two weeks before season so just thankful I'm very thankful it wasn't right before deer season but we made it work I uh, uh had no trouble whipping that KMX out and yeah we, some birds we call, she was all bummed out they told her she had the cast all up past her yeah. fingertips and <laughs> I said, chill out. I said, I'll call Larry McCoy there with the outdoor group. He's a real good friend of ours, and he's he's an awesome dude. So I, I said, we'll give him a call. He'll send us one of those I said, we'll take it out. I said, we'll get at least get you one or two. I said, I'm sure I can get yeah. you close enough. I didn't realize she'd go off and kill like six, no. four days. It, I it was definitely my, it was, I would say, best and easiest turkey season. I mean, I what, we, we figured like four and a half days of actually hunting, like Blind for hunting. me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I would say, I mean, Every day, like every first day of the hunt that I went, like, you know, every state, yeah, I'd shot. And it wasn't really a great season as far as uh, overall. I mean, we were seeing a lot of birds. I was like, gosh, this is going to be a tough one. And she made me insert my foot in my mouth just about every hunt that she went on. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty crazy. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so, Josh, I'm, I'm, I'm cruising your Twitter account right now. <laughs> right on? Yeah. You got to tell me about this Real Tree Max double caffeinated coffee you've been uh, sucking down just before you hit the woods. What's that all about? Oh man, I tell you what, I, you know what? I've never drunk. I never grew up drinking coffee. Yeah. I was a caffeine pop dude. About I don't know, four years ago, three years ago, mm-hmm. I was like, I got to do something different, and I started drinking coffee. And now I'm absolutely hooked on coffee. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't. I'm a zombie in the morning. She makes so much fun of me because when I got out of bed, I don't want to be talked to nothing. I just instantly straight to the coffee maker. And, uh, of course, I'm the only one who drinks coffee, and I don't drink, like, six cups or nothing. So, a cure is, like, perfect. And uh, Real Tree hooked us up with some of those um, Real Tree coffee, and I got I want the best stuff they got. So, I was, like, double caffeinated. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. It'll wake you up. <laughs> yeah, it's called, it's called Real Tree Max uh, double caffeinated yeah. coffee. And then it's all run through the Keurig. I bet that packs yes, a punch and gets you going. It does, buddy. Let me tell you. Yeah, I can definitely tell the morning he's had his coffee because he's just a chatty chappy and all ready to go. And then if we run out of coffee, it's, there's no talking in our household. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I apologize regularly for it, though. Gotcha. Gotcha. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about both of you guys. Where, where are you? Josh, let's talk about you for a little bit. Where are you from originally? I'm actually from uh, Small Town, USA, man. We're from... Jasonville, Indiana, little redneck town. Okay. Uh, graduated like 50 in my class. You know, nothing. We're just a little redneck town that uh, plays sports and mud and trucks and fishing and hunting is about all we do. Nice. <laughs> That's about all there is. All right. What about you, Kristen? Where are you from? The same place. Okay. Jasonville, Indiana. Yep. 
All right. All right. So you guys <laughs> yes. kind of grew up in the same environment. Like you knew. We did. The, yeah. The, the, yep. both we went to the was, same school. Gotcha. Yep. Very yep. cool. All right. How'd you meet? Yeah. How'd we meet? Well, actually, uh, I mean, we actually met years ago. There's a, the, the, the most popular thing in our town is a state park. Shackamack State Park. Okay. And uh, it's a it's got yeah it's big tourist thing is it's got a big pool area and uh, we met years ago. Shoot, I was by a freshman. You're just a young buck, yeah. And we met there and uh, we actually, which is weird because we're such a small town USA that it, you know, everybody knows everybody. Heck, I mean when I was a senior, I knew the junior high kids. You know, it's uh, and right. I, I went to college with guys that didn't even know everybody in their graduating class. Right. Let alone <laughs> the whole school and uh, we actually never really. Surprisingly, I never really associated much after that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it wasn't cool, you know, because I was—I'm four years younger, so it wasn't really cool at that age to hang out with. The yeah, she was girl. a freshman, I was a senior, so gotcha. you know, that was, okay, that, that would have crimped my style a little bit. Yeah, right, right, something like that. <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't uh, that wasn't that cool back then. But you know, once you no. once you get a little older, that four four year gap gets a lot smaller. Oh yeah. Well, I tell you what, man, I went off to college and uh, played basketball for a year, and then decided to come back and uh, coach basketball. Mm-hmm. And she was one of the cheerleaders, and I thought, who is this girl? <laughs> she she she'd grown up a little bit since the last time I remember. There you go. And um, I was like, wow. And she didn't she didn't want to give me much time her day at first. She she puffed will play a little hard to get. Nice, nice job, Kristen. Excellent. Yeah. Good for you. So it was frowned upon a little bit that he was the coach. It was a freshman coach, wasn't it? In JV. JV, freshman Yeah, JV. and then right. I was a cheerleader. That that didn't go over super well. <laughs> <laughs> you had to smooth that out, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's funny now. But, yeah, it's all but funny yeah. now. <laughs> right. All right, so you've been kind of together for a while and uh you, oh, yeah. you both understood the, the the way of life where you were from and yeah uh-huh. probably had a lot in common uh when it came to the outdoors were you both outdoors people at that time or did you kind of um, develop over time no i wasn't at first um okay. i had um, i was really super girly and prissy um but my grandpa got me shooting guns ever since i was like six i was out there shooting with him and um so i think that kind of like got me into it you know enough and then um i had no clue that josh was a hunter um he was a jock he was pretty into parts and stuff and that's really all i knew and the first time i went to his house and i seen you know all these deer heads on the wall and turkey mounts and stuff and i was like oh wow you know this is cool and i was like well i'd like to, to try it sometime like i'd like to go and it just blew him away and of course he told me right off the bat that um, you know, after after going to his house and stuff, he told me that, um, you know, it was a big part of his life and that I was just going to have to get used to it, that, you know, during turkey and deer season, I wasn't going to see him or <laughs> I'd have to go out right. in the woods, you know, and go with him if I wanted to see him. So, um, so anyway, yeah, he took me. It was actually turkey season and it was, uh, oh, it was like the last weekend. Yeah, it was the very, very last weekend of uh, Indiana season, which if anybody that's ever hunted Indiana season knows that last weekend. It's tough. Mm-hmm. And, all the birds uh, are all educated by that time. They they're pretty pressured by that point. Indiana's pretty popular for the state. Mm-hmm. And uh, they get a lot of hunting pressure. And it's funny thing, we don't have been on Tate what, two months, three months maybe? Uh, yeah. Something like that. And I was really, my intentions were just to take her out there, let her just kind of see what I do when I'm out there. You know, I was tagged out. All my buddies were tagged out. So I'm like, well, let's do it. So I wanted to just let her hear some gobbles mm-hmm. and uh, maybe see something. I really didn't expect her to shoot anything. And we weren't even out there <laughs> an hour, maybe. We weren't. She, first time she's ever sat down in the woods against a tree, mm-hmm. and we work a bird. And he, I mean, he is in our face, and she never really used to use a hunting shotgun in this in this situation before. Mm-hmm. I gave her a quick run through the night before, and she was sitting yeah. between my legs. And this dude comes in, he's like ten yards, and there's a couple of shooting holes, 
I was trying to get her to shoot me first, and she just wasn't ready yet. And then finally, he gets on the wide open, we're walking on the pine ridge. He's in the wide open at like eight steps, and gobbles right in our face. And I'm, I'm about to have a heart attack. And I'm like, shoot, shoot. And finally, she shoots him. And I could, I mean, she rolled him, and he's, he was he was done, you know, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, this girl had been uh, never 104 in her life. This dude had like inch and quarter spurs, 24 pounds, 11 three quarter inch beard. Her first turkey, first hunt in her life. Not only did she hear a gobble, she heard it right in her face. And so, needless to say, I, so I, was I fell in love. That one. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I fell in love after that one. I'm going to marry that girl. I'm sure. There you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's his a dad's keeper. face, I can still remember it. Because um, his yeah. dad dropped us off at that spot. Yeah. And we came out running with the bird and everything else. And his face was priceless. Like, I still can see that to this day. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he it, just couldn't believe it. In our, our you know, little small town we come from, this was, you know, shoot, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And it wasn't as popular, especially in our area, it wasn't that popular for, for a whole lot of little pretty girls to be hunting. Um, so hmm. she got a lot of attention for that turkey obviously but it's, it's changed a lot since oh yeah that was, there wasn't even like women's clothing then i remember i had like some of your old uh yeah. bibs on yeah. and yeah it, it, those pictures I, I didn't look cute at all yeah <laughs> gotcha yeah, so it was, it was a small community was it was it frowned upon uh, to, to have the pretty girl show up with a, a, a monster tom and show it off no no it wasn't really, it just didn't really happen in that area at the okay. time. Yeah, everybody was excited about yeah. it. Yeah, oh yeah. She got a lot of positive attention for it. Oh, but, cool. Uh, yeah. I think they kind of started it. That's what she's well, like, we won't oh, name names in case he might watch his podcast, but there was a particular teacher that wasn't a fan of me until I, <laughs> I, I took him the pictures of my turkey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, right. wow. yeah. You guys got to know, she was, the, she was the prettiest cheerleader that you'd ever see. I mean, it was hair done every single day. Everything was prissy, prissy, prissy. So you can imagine how shocked everybody was. When right. She, uh, oh, yeah. Right. People yeah. still so, tell me to this day. They're like, I can't believe that you're into the hunting and do all that. Right. But. Right, so you go from from uh, it's. I mean, it's it's almost opposite of what you think. You get somebody right. that's cheerleader, polished, yeah. you know, looking good, uh, <laughs> hair, nails, everything, and then turn around and you're like belly crawling through mud to get to some yeah. turkey and smack him in the face with a twelve gauge. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> Complete opposite. That, now that's that's oh, that, yeah. there's a huge contrast there. So I can see how people are like what? <laughs> What's that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, very yeah, cool. Back to show you, man. I mean, it's just you never know who you got to introduce every, anybody and everybody you can right. to give them a chance because you just you just never know who's gonna mm-hmm. fall in love with it. Right. Yep. People and I never pass up an opportunity to introduce somebody into the field. Yeah. And no matter what. Heck yeah, man. If there's even a slight interest. Let's do it. Absolutely. So you you knew that things were going to go well after that experience. Now, deer hunting. <laughs> when did deer hunting come around after that turkey hunt? When, when did the deer hunting? Was it the that that coming season when you started to get into? Yeah, the field? yep. Okay. Yeah, I shot my first doe that next uh, that deer season. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Yep, and then then he slowly started getting me into uh, bow hunting. Yep, she shot her first mm-hmm. doe that late muzzleloader season. Yeah, with a muzzleloader, and she fell in love with that. And then uh, so then the next. The next fall, that's when we started getting Yeah, I think it hunting. was, yeah. Because yeah, you've been bow hunting for about 11 years, 11 years now, I think. Was it? Yeah. So, and we got her like a little little uh, Matthews Mustang. Was her first yep, little, was uh, my first, first little bow. I think it was like two inches too long the draw length because it just didn't. Uh, too but, short, you mean? Yeah, too short on yeah. the draw length, yeah. Right, right. Because um, back then, you just you kind of made it work. Yeah, you weren't really sure. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, not shooting a bow before, you know, I just wasn't quite used to it. It took me a little bit to, to kind of get the feel for it and stuff, but. But you know that was when you probably got hooked the most. Oh yeah, I'll never forget it. I took her bow hunting for the first time, uh, and and it was like in the fall, 
and it was about the time you could really start to work some work some bucks in to calls, you know, rattling and grunting and stuff. And uh, I grunted in this little buck, and he came in all the way to the base of the tree, and she she had picked up her bow. I told her to get ready. She, at that time, you know, it was all fourth one, I think. Yeah. And um, she said that uh, she'd shoot anything. So I told her, I said, get your bow. Here he comes. <laughs> and he comes all the way to the base of the tree. And I'm telling her, I said, enjoy your bow. And I'm looking over at her. She's not even trying. And she goes, I can't. <laughs> and I was like, like, what do you mean you can't? You're not even trying. She goes, I can't. <laughs> and that sucker, that sucker walks off. It's a little four-corn, a little year-and-a-half-year-old bug. He walks right. off. And afterwards, she looks up to me, and she, she gives me her hand, and she goes, how are my hands so cold and sweating at the same time? And I'm like, honey, that's called buck fever. <laughs> and I think ever since then, she's been obsessed with a bow and arrow. Yeah. Gotcha. Kristen, is that, is that your recollection as well? Was it uh, was it just like uh, yeah. a buck oh, fright yeah. kind of thing? It was, yeah. That was my first um first case of buck fever for sure yeah it was just i i mean yeah he like you said i didn't even try to pull my bow back but i just knew i couldn't like right. and, and it took me a long time um to kind of get through that really um mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of crazy i mean uh bow hunting for me i think just because i you know didn't start it at an early age like you know shooting guns and stuff like that but it was always been something i had to you know work at and then it just was that much more rewarding you know whenever you know you do you are successful or whatever so yeah, I, I I'm definitely I love it. No. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fast forward a couple of years. I mean, you guys have killed, uh-huh. killed some monster bucks, both of you. <laughs> we have a good time with it. <laughs> oh yeah. Just fantastic. So let's talk about the terrain where you're hunting a little bit. I'm very curious. Uh-huh. What the? Tell me about the surroundings. What's the 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 woods uh, to field ratios? What type of timber are we looking at? And and what crops? What do we give? A, give us the landscape right, right. of what we're dealing with here. I'll tell you what, man. We hunt. You know, we hunt uh, Kansas, Illinois, Indiana. So that's probably our three major states. We'll go on a little bit of you know early season, late season hunts that just kind of pop up. We don't do a whole lot of outfitters. Um, so pretty pretty picky on on the way I do things. But uh, early season, late season, you know, you know, I don't mind going on stuff like that. But for the most part, you know, across those three states, you, you kind of see a lot of different types of terrain. Um, and that was, you know, so we see a little bit of everything. Here in Indiana, the Hoosier State here that we uh, do a lot of our hunting, it's all a lot of coal mine ground, old mine ground. Yep. And uh, so it's a lot of it's full hills, so that black dirt soil you can't plant anything on, pine tree, pine needle stuff that, uh, i tell you what, it, it takes a long time to learn how to hunt that stuff, but once you figure it out, uh, usually you can almost set your watch to when it's going to get good. It's only going to be a short little window. Uh, and then, you know, there's also a lot of clear-cut stuff. That if it's not that, it's the mine that owned it, but they logged it all. And it was a, you know, it was an eyesore for a year or two. And once you realized, once it grew all back up, you know, actually how much more wildlife it held. Um, and it's becoming thicker and woolly as, woolly as heck. So a lot of it's, uh, you know, we hunt real nasty, thick stuff that busts right up the ag fields. Okay. So it actually works out pretty good because, you know, your food to bed is so close. I mean, a lot of times it could be 50, 60 yards in. Right. Um, and you can sneak right up on them as long as you're, you know, playing the wind right and uh, your access is good. The only problem is you got to have a lot of those spots because, you know, um, you got to kind of, you know, you're going to run a lot of deer off and you can only hunt them so often before they, the gigs up, you know. So, uh, you know, and then, and then Kansas, uh, one of our favorite states to hunt, it's a lot of rolling hills, it's big ridges and stuff. So it's a little, it's a little tougher to hunt. Um, but of course it's, it's more geared around bow hunting in that state. And the rifle season doesn't come in until December 4th, last 10 days, and it's out. So, you know, it's really benefits the bow hunter. One buck state comes in the middle of September. It really gives you, uh, in Indiana, you know, our gun season comes in, firearm season comes in uh, middle of November. It's like right in the peak of the breeding season. And once that first shot rings out, it gets tough, uh, especially with the bow and arrow. 
So, um, you know, we and in Illinois, we do a lot of big hardwoods. Okay. Uh, real big, beautiful, pretty hardwoods, but it, it's tough to hunt, man. The big timber is tough stuff, especially with a bow, because you just can't get in. You got to hunt the edges a lot. Um, and, and, of course, they don't bed in one particular spot all the time. A lot has to depend on what the wind's doing. It's where they're bedding at. And once, those, once that foliage drops, it's tough. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we hunt a lot of edges. We do a lot of edge hunting. Now, okay. when it gets time to... When it gets time to get aggressive, we'll we'll get in there a little bit. But. Gotcha. And are you doing primarily bow hunting? You know, yeah, that's, that's our that's our love. We're talking eighty percent bow hunting. Okay. But we're not too proud to whip out a muzzleloader or shotgun. Um, we like big deer in general. So if it's legal and it's in, and we got a big dude that we need to get down, and he's driving us nuts, um, if it's legal and it's in, we're not afraid to yeah. whip it out. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that because I I, I I mean I I love bow hunting. Don't get me wrong, but uh-huh. I, I always I like the guns too. So I, I like yep. it when a hunter can say I'm not a, I'm not ashamed to pull out a firearm. I yeah, don't, oh, no. you know yep. I think that's 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 good to hear. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, I, yep. I like hunting both of them, but I, I there's a you know definitely times of the year that you should that I like to enjoy a firearm over a bow or a bow over a firearm. It just depends on the season. Yeah. Or the territory, yeah, the terrain. You know, if if I'm going in after a big a big deer and it, and it's super thick and it's just not conducive to a, a bow shot or a, a healthy bow shot, then yeah, I'm going in with a firearm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I tell you, Heck yes. that, that bow that, that bow just doesn't give off that gunpowder smell I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we we love we're in love with big mature deer. Yeah, so that's right. that's what we're in love with. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm I'm curious to pick your brain when we get into a little further down uh, the road here about how what you've learned how to hunt each spot. And you said it's a little right. it's difficult to hunt that I think it was that one spot in in Kansas, mm-hmm. and you had to really kind of know your, know what you're doing. I'm very curious to hear what that's all about. We'll get into that in a little bit when Dusty uh, takes over the mic here. Hello. So you're you have some skill sets you're hunting in some fantastic whitetail areas you're mm-hmm. you've developed some skills and you know your terrain uh, are these places pressure points or not pressure points but pressure places do they get other activity from other hunters um you said you weren't hunting outfitters but what's the what's the pressure like from other hunters where you're going oh yeah uh, i'll tell you what you know when you grew up in indiana uh, it, it's definitely a very popular white cell state, and there's a lot of we got especially this area. Oh yeah, this area is very popular. We have some really, really big deer around here. Some pretty good genetics, but just the problem is just a lot of hunting pressure. And we have almost was it like 31 days of gun hunting? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, it starts from the middle of November, and then you got your shotgun rifle now. I actually, just introduced rifle last year. Still not sure how I feel about that one. You know, um, and then you got uh, muzzleloader, yeah. and then you got like a late doe hunting. So I mean it makes it tough. So you got to get you got to get, and it doesn't really get good usually in this area, um, just with weather in general as well. Till in October, just like a lot of Midwest states. Um, so you get like two weeks of pretty good bow hunting that you have to get it done before first gun cracks off. And then you know that first weekend could be that first week could be pretty good. You can use a lot of that to your advantage. Um, but after that, and it gets it's far and few between on uh, big mature white tail. And they're smart for a reason. Um, it's because of all the pressure. But yeah, we have a lot of pressure. Primarily how I grew up hunting, it, it's been, uh, I'm not, never been real good at knocking on the door and getting permission. Uh, I just hated to old hound people at their house, uh, knocking on, pounding on their door. Sure. Uh, so we, we've always kind of, our way, our rule of thumb, when I was in college, leasing started to become popular in this area. And of course we had a lot of buying ground and all this mine owned all this ground and they got sick of people riding their ATVs and doing other things on their properties without their permission and afraid for liability. So they started leasing all their stuff. And they, 
you know, at least it, back then, seven dollars an acre, which is you know, fairly affordable. And it was pretty good. I, know. I remember thinking that was high. Oh, I know. <laughs> and uh, you know what we did was we got on big like groups. We get one lease would be a thousand acres with sixteen guys on it. You know, we don't, not everybody really knows everybody. It's not public, but it is. I mean, if, if you know somebody that knows that guy, which is better than what, going on public ground that you just don't know anybody. Yep. You have at least a little bit idea who's on it. Okay. Um, you know, a couple hundred bucks a guy, you know, and he could hunt it all year. But sure, you know, like me, well, I did, I did two or three leases like that. I think we had another one that was about 1,500 acres with 24 guys on it. And then a couple other gotcha. just, just, you know what I mean? We had two or three of those. And I was primary a bow hunter back then where that, that was the only thing I did, and these guys were all gun hunters, so I could usually get first dibs and get out there and get one dead right. before the gun started flying. And um, So it was public ground, but not really, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like you know it's, it's by permission, but the permission is, is sounds like it's given out quite a bit, so it almost makes right, it like right. a public land hunt in, a, in essence. Yep. Uh, obviously not not quite as, as stressed as that, but close enough. Yeah, it's kind of similar to like your hunt clubs down south. Right. Just not as big as, as big acreage, you know. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So there's the the deer become aware that there's more than one guy or gal mm-hmm. um, on these yes. pieces of property, and that you you need to add that into your formula for success. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're very nocturnal around here in Indiana, as in like Kansas. They're not near as nocturnal. Just the terrain's kind of tough to hunt. You know, with thermals and uh, the way the wind swirls a lot with those big deep hollers and uh, draws and stuff, but here it, you the ground lays pretty well for the most part. It's pretty flat, mm-hmm. so your wind's always pretty good with that half your battles, getting your thermals, your wind right. But it's they're pressured so much that they're so nocturnal. I mean, you could be so many times you've been in the right spot, and I mean you can't make them walk during daylight. That's the one thing. You know, you can check your cameras the two weeks later, and they walked right by an hour after you got down. You did everything right, but legally you can't make them walk during daylight. So right. okay, <laughs> uh, when they're so pressured, you know stuff let's um tell me a little bit about your television strategies so you you've got to tell you decided to start filming some of this fantastic footage that you're on tell me about the television show right right um you know i started off i've been filming i've always had a love for filming stuff ever since i think it was my first video camera i got was my freshman year we got it for christmas as you know there's one of the old little tape the big eight millimeter tapes Yep. And I was so pumped up to get it that. Freshman year in high school. Yeah, freshman year in high school. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And uh, I was so pumped up to get that thing. And, uh, you know, we we always, me and dad always did a lot of turkey scouts before season come in just to get pumped up. And so we we started filming everything. So I got pretty familiarized with the camera pretty early. And then I just kept graduating up and got more and more love with it. You know, I didn't, we filmed all our turkey hunts, did a ton of that and anything else that we do. But whitetail was just, it's always so tough. Uh, to fool a big white cell's nose the way it is um, with one guy, and you throw two guys in there, and you're not doing nothing with your footage. You know, you're not editing, you're not putting it anywhere. So I really didn't get too serious about filming white cells till actually probably till Kristen really started getting serious with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm I was already sitting there with her. I thought, well, heck, I might as well be filming it. Uh, I was coaching through a lot of her hunts, you know, and I thought I might as well be filming this. And that's kind of how that got rolling. Yeah. And then, uh, well, Kristen, you can kind of talk. Um, when we first got into the TV side of it, uh-huh. um, especially with you. Yeah, with the all-women's hunting show. And then so it was kind of like, you know, we had to film. So we had to take the, the camera out um, deer hunting. And then not long before that, I had started hunting by myself, deer hunting, bow hunting mostly, wasn't it, by myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it was fun. I liked it. I enjoyed being out there. But um, but I really, I missed, you know, him being with me. It wasn't the same. Um, and then that way, whenever we took the video camera, like you said, it was something that we had to do together. And 
And I don't know what it is. I mean, I just kind of doubt everything whenever I'm by myself. But just having him there and, like, the security, I feel um, like whatever choice I'm going to make or whenever I'm going to take the shot, it's just, like, it's right. Just, <laughs> just having him there, so. Yeah, she, she always knows the right decision, but she... Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, she, she likes to uh, hear me confirm it for yeah. sure. So it was, it, was, it was nice. You know, I actually, to back up a little bit, sorry to get ahead of myself there, but I actually started filming what kind of got my foot really in the door of the industry. I think I was a freshman in college, uh, sophomore in college, sorry. I started filming for a buddy here uh, locally that he was with. Uh, that was back when, if you guys remember or not, uh, the Muzzy Big Game Stream uh, DVDs that they had. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah Mike Miller was his name. He he was uh, he was on there doing stuff, and he was pretty mm-hmm. cool. He he shot, uh, still does this day, he shoots uh, compound with fingers and no sights. So that's what I thought was the coolest thing. And uh, he hunted big game all over uh, all over the world. And uh, so I started filming him, and I told him, you know, I'd do it for free just for the experiences to be able to go all the place and uh, see the different things. And obviously, in, in return, just introducing to the right people and, and learning a lot. And that was kind of my, once I, re- I, I fell in love with the outdoor industry, and, and I wanted to, wanted to do it. I've always been a fan of this little kid watching everybody growing up being a fan of everybody. I mean, there's not there's not too many people in the industry that I didn't know growing up that I wasn't a fan of. Um, and that just kind of sparked that for me, and I just kind of instilled that in Kristen. Mm-hmm. And uh, she kind of ran with it as well. Gotcha. But yeah, she started, really where she started uh, was the, what, the Dress to Kill mm-hmm. in 2012, I think it was. Yeah. 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 And that's uh, with uh, Tammy Gregory. She started the, mm-hmm. the show Dress to Kill TV, and it was an all-women's show. Um, of course, we didn't know how that was going to go um, with a bunch of women, but we, you know, we knew that uh, it had a pretty cool idea. It never been done, and it was a bunch of pretty girls that, uh, in a normal day life, you know, you would. They made me feel more normal. Yeah. Like, um, you know, you could still, uh, you know, be like my, be like me, be prissy, get your, you know, have your hair done, and get your nails done, but still go out and hunt and be just as serious as the guys, you know. Right. And uh, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, and our conversations were, were definitely pretty interesting. We would go from talking about you know, hair and nails, uh, hunting and big bucks and all that and strategizing and all that. So <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we got, we got pretty close, um, to the years and stuff. So yeah, it was neat. Mm-hmm. It was, it was kind of neat. I mean, it was, um, it was a, it was an experience. Uh, I think there's a lot of things about it that, uh, definitely walked away with some pretty cool, interesting stuff that, uh, we've kind of taken from it. And it's been, a, it's been fun since then. We just keep meeting new people and growing mm-hmm. it's been, been an awesome ride that's for sure very cool so it was uh more or less uh, just a development where you you did some videography and you you were hunting mm-hmm. big deer and that kind of expanded into an opportunity it sounds like on a a, a, a show and and now uh, where are you where do you want to take it from here um, well everybody we get that all the time They're like when are you gonna have your own show and i mean that, that that's a lot of work um yeah and now we got the shop and stuff. Um, but we really, we enjoy what we're doing now. Um, we film for Real Tree Outdoors and, um, we're working with, uh, Philip Vanderpool with the Virtue and, um, and to Carbon TV. Yeah, Carbon TV. And then, nice. um, and we just, uh, we, we're going to do some stuff with, uh, Respect the Game, uh, Elites Respect the Game on the Sportsman Channel with Larry McCoy and those guys. Yeah. Uh, so we're doing a little bit of a lot of different platforms. Gotcha. Uh, we would love to have our own show one day, but right now the, the industry, you guys probably agree with us, is so saturated yep. with uh, TV shows right mm-hmm. now yep. that um, we don't have any cost in anything. And of course, you guys see the cost of having your own show. Right. And a lot of a lot of people don't realize that you know they don't pay you all that stuff. You got to pay them to be on the that's right sports without their channel. You got to pay your producer. And you're, as far as my, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you're as good as your producer is these days. 
if you don't you don't have the money to dish out for a good producer, then your show's just not going to make it. Unless you're just awesome, you're just so unique and um, have something to bring to the table that nobody else has, which is just about uh, non-existent anymore. I just don't. Now is not the time, especially with the way TV's going right now. I feel like uh, a lot of it on the Sportsman Outdoor Channel. I think so much is going web-based mm-hmm. that uh, it's a lot cheaper. And not to say we won't ever eventually do something like that, but we're pretty uh, we're having a we're freaking awesome, right now. awesome gotcha. time doing what we're doing right now. Yep. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like you're having fun and you're, you're oh, dis- yeah. distributing your content. You're doing what you like to do yep. and you're still getting noticed. Yep. So that's pretty dark. And, and that's the thing, man. We, we love it so much that we've kind of made a pact that if it gets to where it's not having fun anymore, we were going to. Kind of, you know, yeah. we don't want to. We enjoy it. Uh, it is a lot of hard work. Yeah, we're wrong, but it's uh, we enjoy it's doing fun it. It's fun work. It's fun work. Yeah, right? yeah. And we want to keep it that way. Very we don't cool. want it to be like a job. Nice. All right. So I'm I'm eager to turn the mic over to Dusty Phillips here mm-hmm. and, and have him really dig deep into your strategies <laughs> and techniques that you guys are using to kill these monster deer. It's 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 unbelievable. Uh, so right. I, I want Dusty to kind of be the the strategist here and, and see if he can figure out what, what makes you guys tick. I'm going okay. right to backtrack a little bit. I heard one of you uh-huh. say, again, out at the shop here lately, what's going on there? Yeah, you know what? I don't know what's happened because it's, it's been me that's been stuck here lately. So <laughs> he has, you know, and I didn't say too much because he did, you know, cater to me a lot. He one-handed this turkey season and he put a lot of work in. But um, opening day here in Indiana this year, um, I was in the shop, and Josh was out hunting with the guys. So I'm not really sure how that one worked out, but, but it's okay. He took me the next, the second day, and I got it done. So, so then, that's, but that was what he did. He got me tagged out quick, so that he could just go and take everyone else and go have fun. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> she's just never happy, guys. I mean, she killed five <laughs> birds at that point in four days of hunting, and she's a killer. I mean, she just she can't stop. <laughs> it's a problem for her. <laughs> And I had to explain to her, I said, a lot of other people want to go. That's not even killed a bird yet. Let's, yeah. let's take some friends first. You know, I am yeah. pretty lucky because he usually lets me be up to bat first all the time. So I probably shouldn't even give him much yeah. crap about that. But That's right. For sure. <laughs> so, so the new shop's going to be Shooter's Archery. And when, when do you think you'll have your grand uh-huh. opening for Shooter's Archery? Oh, gosh. We, we, oh, we, we've been shooting. Uh, yeah, hopefully. first of June, hopefully. Um, again, we're just trying – we're just – Switching everything over, uh, and it's been a headache as far as it's a good, good headache. Good though. headache, yeah. yeah. It's just you know all the paperwork, all, all the stuff, problems. and of course we bought out somebody else, so uh, we got a lot of inventory in here that we've got to you know could be a little bit uh, out of date, and you got to get of course when you switch over, you got to get all the new stuff. So you know doing all that stuff, been right in the middle of moving back to Kansas, and then possibly buying a new house, and gosh, it's just been. It's been hectic. It's been hectic, but, you know, we wouldn't change it for anything. No, no, I'm super glad to be back home. All right, yeah, for sure. And it sounds like you guys uh, work better under pressure anyway. Oh, we do. That's how we do things. That's the only thing. That's the only way we yep. put out the best work to do. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. So, new archery shop opening up, Shooter's Archery there in Indiana. And uh, best of luck with all that. Let's get into some Thank hunting you. techniques. And, you know, if, if you guys don't know Josh and Kristen, just get on social media and, and check them out. I'm telling you, you're going to see some great caliber bucks and some paintbrush beards on long beards. And, <laughs> you know, amazing turkeys and whitetails. And, but what I'm really interested in hearing about is some of these whitetails. And, Josh, we'll start out with you. Uh, okay. Tell us, um, Hit me. you know, What's your favorite state to hunt? We'll go there and kind of break it down. Tell us what your favorite state to hunt is. Oh, man. You know, 
I have to say Kansas. Um, and the only reason I say Kansas is because I love their foundation to their management practices out there as far as one buck state. Uh, it comes in middle of September, and the rifle season doesn't come in until uh, usually around December 4th. So it's past the peak of the breeding season. And, and it just seems like out there, it only lasts 10 days. And by that time, you know, and you know, a lot of guys just aren't even really even messing with it at that point. And, and uh, you know, it's just, seems like you can get a lot of you can grow a big deer out there um you know there's just a good deer in it here in indiana as there is out there it's just a, a getting to that age class is the problem around here um and, and getting when they get to that age class to get them to walk during daylight uh, and out there i just i don't see people as often maybe it's just where we're at we just don't see near and to us it's not a lot of people out there and to the locals it's probably overran with people but after you hunt here in indiana and you see uh, an opening day of gun season. I mean, it is the orange army everywhere. Uh, so, you know, you go out there and you just don't even see, you go to the local diner, local town there, you don't even see anybody wearing hunter orange around. You don't see anybody pulling forward, nothing on their opening day of gun season. It's just kind of like, wow. Low pressure is what you're telling us then. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's what I love about it. I mean, it's the terrain's not necessarily easy to hunt. Um, it's big, open, wide open timber. So, you know, by, by November, it just gets, you can't move around much. You gotta hope that they uh, you can't get in tight on. And that's, sometimes you know you gotta get in there, but you just can't. Um, so you gotta hope they come out to you. But they're not pressured and they're walking during daylight, so you always you got to fight a chance. They're doing that. Mm-hmm. What uh, what percentage do you think that the uh, low pressure? Let's go on like a like a one to ten low pressure daylight movement. Give me a one to ten. That's uh, that's a key factor in killing a mature whitetail. Oh, ten being the highest. I mean that's yeah. every bit of it. I mean if, if they don't. I can't tell you how many times in Indiana that I've had that. I know I'm in the right spot. Everything's perfect. There's everything you waited for that one day to come in to hunt that one particular buck. And I've been in there and I didn't see him. And a week later, I come back and check the camera and he came in an hour after I had left. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, no, there's nothing you could You did it right. I mean, you beat him for the most part. You, you, you calculated it. You All the history you had, you had everything down to T. You had core areas shrunk down. You found the shed. You had the pictures. But he just didn't walk her in daylight. And if they don't walk her in daylight because they're pressured so much and they're, and they're just so educated, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, so that's that's why it's um, that's the biggest factor to me. I mean, it's already it's already hard enough to kill a big white tail with a bow and arrow, big mature dude. Um, when <laughs> you throw in that factor on top of it, it's just it's really the odds really stacked against you. Right. What do you do when you run into a scenario that you're hunting a high pressure deer? That's mm-hmm. you know virtually impossible to hunt. Is there any tactics that you use to maybe change the game? You know, I like to have, especially like Indiana. Um, I like to have as much ground as I can, and I run as many cameras as I can. And those cameras let me know what deer are killable. I, I feel like personally that a lot of that deer are like people, and they have a lot of different personalities. Some are aggressive, some are shy, some are you know lovers, not fighters, and some are daylight walkers, and some just will not walk during daylight. And it has nothing to do with the size of the rack on their head. It's just all what the deer's personality is. And personally, I run enough, uh, so many cameras, I get a feel for that deer. Especially after you get, you know, once he gets to about five and a half, six and a half, and you've had two, three years of the history of him, you found his sheds every year. You found, you get trail cam pictures of him every year. You really start to get, I mean, you feel like that deer, you know him so well, you really start to get a personality with him. You can get a feel. Is he aggressive? Is he uh, can I call that deer in in the right circumstances? Uh, would he never come into a call? So I never want to try that. Uh, does he walk during daylight all the time? Does he walk only with high pressure nights? Uh, you know, when the moon's, you know, you get a feel and you kind of write a log 
and uh, kind of get a feel for each particular deer. Well, you run enough cameras and, and do enough scouting and, and lake work in the, in the off season, you start to learn these deer and know these deer, and I'll just go after, a lot of times I'll just go after, the, I won't waste time on a, an on a pressure deer. Until he shows me enough that says, hey, it's time to get in there, I just won't even go after him. I'll just go after a different one. And if you bounce around enough, you'll find that deer that can be killed, and uh, that's the one I go after. That's the key in Indiana for me. Now, you know, some of the other states... It's not a, like Kansas is the one. I just keep going back to Kansas. I love because the big mature deer out there, they just don't have, when the time's right and the weather's right and the pressure's right, so they have no problem walking during daylight. Um, and they're a lot more aggressive out there. So you can bang the horns together uh, as long as you get yourself in the right situation where they're not going to circle down windling all the time and um, or whatever. And then you can bang the horns together a lot of times or snort weeds them or, you know, grunt them in, whatever. But, uh, yeah. I got a feeling that uh, you're kind of explaining this. The, they have an attitudes and, uh, you know, some yep. that are talkative and not vocal and some mm-hmm. that you know. It sounds like you without the coffee in the morning. <laughs> right, man. I mean, that's, this is what we do. This is what we live for, man. I, I literally, I spend hours and hours on a computer just looking at every trail cam picture and just studying the deer when he's two and a half, three and a half. And then by the time he's, you know, that age, he's, a lot of times he's a six and a half. It's only because he slipped through the cracks long enough. But it seems like the older they get, the more I get to know them. And it seems almost like they're, I wouldn't say easier to kill. I feel more confident about uh, going after them than I did back when they were mm-hmm. four, you know. Right. So, is there, you just start to figure them out. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular uh, things that pop in your mind that you can notice in a photo that can make you read a buck? Yeah, you know what? I'll Actually, uh, I use this example all the time. Uh, back in 2011, I killed uh, a 191, 191-inch deer. Uh, <laughs> I might see <clears throat> with my gun. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, guys. Bad connection. Yeah, Kristen couldn't go that day, and I did shoot it out of her stand. Uh, she's always giving me crap about that. I forgot. I totally forgot. I set myself up for that one. You did. But um, but this this particular spot, it's ever since I found it, it was just an awesome funnel, awesome pinch point, especially for uh, cruising bucks and that Thanksgiving time. Thanksgiving time every year, the big big mature dudes are always cruising. And it's rocking right there. And it took me like three years. And I, I told Kristen ever since I found the spot, I said, one of these days we're going to kill a giant buck right here. I said, it's just, it's too perfect. And it just the wind that you just first, first glance, the wind that you would hunt it with, which a normal uh, person would hunt it with. Every time I hunted, I'd never see nothing, but I'd always get tons of trail cam pictures of there. It's always, it's always that, you know, middle of November, uh, I'd say the second week of November to the end of November, it was just always rocking. And I'd go in there and never see a doe. I wouldn't see, a, I wouldn't even see a year and a half year old. And I didn't hunt it. I'd only hunt it two or three times a year. And one of the conditions were right. And it took me two, by the third year, I actually had a buck, a particular buck I was after in there that ended up getting shot uh, late October. So I was pretty bummed out about it. Uh, he wasn't nothing monster. He was just a five and a half year old dude that I had a lot of history with and um, had a lot of attitude. I really wanted to shoot him. Well, I hadn't seen a whole lot of other bucks. Well, once he got killed, uh, it just seemed like it opened up the floodgates. He was a big bully. So it opened up the floodgates and all these new bucks were kind of coming through. Well, I started looking, started paying attention and logging what my truck cameras were showing me. I'm like, I'm doing something wrong. And I was just hunting the edge, and I, I couldn't quite figure it out. And finally, I started keeping track of what the wind directions were when these deer were cruising through there. And it was actually opposite of what I always would think they would use. And uh, I needed some sort of west wind, which was kind of it was splitting hairs big time on uh, on getting in there without everything knowing yet or knowing you were there. And uh, so I started logging every pure buck that it was, whether it was morning, evening, dark, daylight. There was always some sort of west wind, and I kind of logging that, logging that, started putting it together. And I'm like, well, how can I? still hunt this and this be in my favor and then still be in his favor and uh the first time in after i finally kind of figured out an idea i went in it was this huge front coming through and i knew they'd be on their feet early 
I went in there and sure as heck this dude comes strolling by like 60 yards and uh, I bust him with a slug gun. It'd be like, I think it was the last Saturday, it was the last of their firearm season that year. And, uh, and that was, that was show cameras. I mean, if it wasn't for show cameras, I would have never, would have never known that. I just kind of kept logging and logging after three years. It took me three years, you know, never real quick about it. And I always kind of hang out and uh, kind of observe and then attack. I just kind of sit back and just learn, 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 and then figured it all, put it all, all pieces together and went in and killed him. And that was, that's just one of the, one of the many, many examples, but it's the one that always kind of popped in my head that I would have never killed that deer because that just wasn't, didn't make any sense. Uh, but if it wasn't for the cameras telling me that I would have never, would have never known that, you know? Right. For sure. How, um, how do you log your information about what the deer movement's like and what the wind's like? You know, usually I like to put it, uh, you know, today's smartphones, man. You know, I got an iPhone. I've had an iPhone since they came out, you know, and, and the notes section on uh, the iPhone, which is just, you know, one of the apps that kind of come with the phone. I log everything in that thing. Every time I see something, every time something pops in my mind, every deer, uh, especially if I start to get a little bit of history with him, and he's, especially if I know he's a homebody and I know he's going to stay on that piece for a while. Um, I just, every time I see something, I'll put it down. And then over two or three years, you go back to those notes and you're like, oh, I forgot I wrote that down. If I hadn't wrote it down, I probably wouldn't remember it half the time. And right. uh, I just, especially those little things that you see, and, and you can sit there, it'll be 12 o'clock at night, and I'm about half asleep. I'm just rolling through all the pictures I got of that dude, and then all of a sudden, boom, something will hit me, and then I'll write it down, and then just, all of a sudden, over two or three years, all the dots start to connect. Um, and the sheds really, the sheds and trail camera pictures are the, and then of course encounters. You put those three together, man, the dots really start to connect. You start to see that core area, and it starts to shrink a little bit each year, and he gets older, and he's, and you, you know, other buck's kind of different, but we've had bucks that, you know, you know, five-acre areas, 10-acre areas, kind of their home core, and that's it, you know. And they, they stay pretty much in that uh, vicinity then? Yeah, you know, every buck's different, but uh, we've, we've seen some six old curly mm-hmm. in a big 206 Christmas shot. He, he was pretty much living on a, about a 10-acre area, 20-acre tops. I mean, he was living all over that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you just said a 206. Kristen, it's your turn. He Josh is out. Okay. I know he's doing that. My talk. Guys, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm obsessed with white tails. I can yeah. talk all night long about them. I love it, though, man. It's great information. It really is. <laughs> That's what it's all about, you know? That's why we do this podcast, because we can we can actually dig into that Rolodex of your mind and, and you know, learn some yeah. new things and techniques and, and skill sets that... Uh, you know, a lot of times every show is a different, uh, is just a different conversation. And right. we always are right. educating, mm-hmm. you know, not only ourselves, but the listeners right. and, and, you know, and then everybody appreciates and we appreciate that you guys open up like you're doing and then let it all flow out. And, you know, Josh, I'm telling you, dude, you got a bad addiction. You're sick with it, man. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's yeah, okay. I, I got know, a bit of a problem. We'd love that. <laughs> yeah. I got a problem. So, yeah. So, Let's get some techniques on the female side of, of things and, and yeah. tell us that uh, what's different in your mindset versus Josh's mindset. And I know Josh was your was your teacher and your educator through this whole process, uh-huh. but I'm sure that you've picked up your own style. Being a female, it's always the you know there's something that that the guy's not right about. I know there's things that yeah. <laughs> uh, let, let's break down from a female's perspective. Okay, well I'd say the biggest thing is um, you know the way we dress. Um, like, like we both look at, you know, the weather channel and see what, what it's going to be. Um, but I can't ever ask him. So I'll be like, you know, I mean, just, I think women just in general get colder, you know, when they're out in the woods. And, um, so I'll ask him like, you know, like, what are you going to wear? Like how many layers are you going to wear? And then, you know, I, I can't really ever go off that because, um, <laughs> I always feel like I need an extra layer too, but 
I don't know, that's something I think we kind of, we are different on. And I had to kind of figure that out more on my own. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. And then... Um, and the feel of your bow and things like that are totally different. Yes, yeah. The, I, on my yardage, um, since I have a lower poundage and lower draw length, I have to be more precise on my yardage. Like, I, um, we laugh about it and joke and that I'm like a compulsive uh, clicker or a compulsive ranger because, like, I could sit in the tree and I, you know, we always practice everything. Like, I'll draw my bow in every, you know, situation, like the deer's, you know, here to there or whatever. And I range, I'll range trees that are close and stuff. So I'll have an idea in my head exactly what the yardage is. But it never fails like that deer comes in and I'm still have my range from my hand clicking like crazy. And Josh is like, okay, it's under 20. Like, stop clicking for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> he's a 12 yard. She goes, how far is he? Yeah. Or, 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 yeah, she'll just go into something like that. And I'll be like, just pop I'll be like, in. Pop in. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> I know. I know, yeah. That's funny. And then another thing is, and I'm sure all the ladies out there can agree with me on this one that hunt with their husbands or boyfriends. Um, but, I mean, when he's, like, ready to get to the stand, in or out or whatever, especially stalking, I guess I should say, um, they're a lot taller than us, typically. And um, sometimes it's hard to keep up. And then, you know, he's like, okay, walk in my steps, you know, so it'll be quieter. Well, you know, I mean, your step's quite a bit longer than mine. So, I mean, <laughs> that's one thing, too, we clash about, you know, because... I don't know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's caused some fights, haven't it? Yeah, yeah, it's hard for her to keep up with my long legs. It is. Yeah, we've had some Snapchat videos about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Since, you know, there's uh, that that's something that's overlooked by a male going in the woods with a female as far as the stride and you're in deeper snow. Yeah. It, yeah. It makes sense. What uh, what yep. obstacles have you ever overcome as far as uh, shooting capabilities, you know, male versus female? Is there, there things that you had to learn that maybe Josh didn't know? Is there vice versa? Tell me some of the scenarios that you come into as far as shooting a bow. Yeah, um, I think just mainly just focusing on, like, shot angles. Um, you know, just be, like I said, being lower poundage and lower draw length, like, my shot has to be really precise. And, um, you know, I have to... I only feel comfortable with that broadside shot, you know, like um, some of the shots that the guys can get away with, you know, I don't really feel as comfortable um, with, and, you know, especially with lower poundage. I don't, you know, I wouldn't get as much penetration as like, you know, a guy was shooting, you know, 80 pounds or whatever. Um, you know, so I'd say that's the biggest thing. Just. Um, yeah. I mean, you've really had to learn to be extremely more patient than me. That's, yeah. And that's, that's, I think that's been the biggest struggle for me. Not to cut you off there, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something good for a lot of women or guys getting their women or kids involved is, you know, a guy can get away with a lot more marginal shots sometimes. Uh, and it's taught me to be a lot better um, ethical uh, on my shots too, that I didn't so much before, but her, it's gotta be, it's gotta be perfect. And yeah. She shoots 52 pounds with a 26 inch draw. So she's probably shooting a little better, a little bit more kinetic energy than a lot of uh, females or, or women. And, um, but it has to be perfectly broadside or quartered away. Mm-hmm. Even better quartered away yeah, if we can. Away, yeah. um, that shot, her her shot has to be precise because she might not get the penetration that uh, you you or I would. And I think that's the biggest. That's probably one of the biggest yeah. obstacles that I had to learn mm-hmm. the whole thing. But uh, go ahead. There, sorry, I didn't cut you off. Oh no, kind of important there. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes sense though. With uh, you know less poundage, uh, shot placement's a, a huge uh-huh. factor. That's a great, uh, somewhat of a tip there to for a female hunter to consider. But uh, yeah, when when you're hunting, um, how's the tree stands as far as I, I don't know what you guys are hunting. What do you guys usually hunt? Hang-ons, ladders. What do you guys yep. normally hang with? Yeah. Okay. So when you're hunting, does the tree stand is the seat and everything comfortable for you, or is it something that then they, they need to make a female tree stand with a particular seat? Is there something that needs um, to be changed there? Yeah, I ran into 
that a few times. Um, mostly, uh, well, I stand to shoot. Um, so mostly, I mean, we just stand on the platform. Um, but yeah, there's been several stands where the seat is up a little too high and like I'll be sitting on the seat and my feet like actually aren't even touching the platform. He's, I know, uh, <laughs> I've cried about that a few times to Josh. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, I never thought about that, but that, that would be awesome to have like a tree stand, you know, specific for women. Yeah, it's pretty much like a shorter, just, shorter spine right. would make it easier for female, you know, especially uh-huh. somebody, you know, where I'm six one and a hang on uh-huh. stands my worst enemy. I don't like them, but uh, I'm a big guy and it just don't, it's not for me. But I could see yeah. where on stand for a male versus a female, why uh-huh. wouldn't it come out with a, with a smaller spine that has a lower seat to the footing? It just, uh, you know, yeah. you guys got the archery shop. Let's get this thing rolling. Let's, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> that, that, this, it just makes sense, though. I mean, I, I completely understand where you could be sitting there, uh, you know, you, you go to buy a recliner for Josh and versus you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get a bigger recliner. But, you know, it just it, it makes sense. That's something that, you it know, does. it's often overlooked in the male-dominated industry. And, and it's something yep. that we need to stop and consider. That's for sure. Uh-huh. What about... Uh, Camouflage. I'm going to ask you what kind of camo you're wearing because, you know, obviously you're female and obviously uh, there again, it's a kind of a male dominated sport uh, of camouflage and archery hunting. What do you do for comfortable camouflage for a female? Uh, well, I wear a uh, real tree and then um, the women's UA hotline. Uh, there is nothing warmer than it. I've worn some other brands and absolutely froze my butt off. Um, but Under Armour, they have a great women's line. It fits good. Um, you know, it, it's more tailored um, for women. So it's not like, you know, big and baggy, but it's, it's very comfortable. And um, they have a really good layering system, too. Um, you know, there's thinner layers all the way to, like, you know, big, thick one. Um, and, you know, I've, used, I've wore even several layers underneath or whatever, just depending on the situation I'm in. Um, like, hunting out in Kansas, uh, it's super windy. Um, it's, <laughs> I mean, 20 miles an hour, it seems like, on a good day. There's always a crazy wind. And it's been hard for me to learn how to dress for that. Um, but, in like, you know, on a windy day out there, like when we're hunting, hunting up top, you know, I, I have, you know, I put on several layers and, um, it's still, I can still put on all those layers and not be restricted to shoot a bow. So be able to, um, you know, have all that range and not be, you know, bound up like some other clothing do. So very good. What about, uh, boots? What are you using for cold climate boot wise? For boots? Um, I am wearing the women's, the UA, the brow tine boot. Um, mm-hmm. I have, uh, the one that has like the, it's for uh, early season that doesn't have much insulation. Um, but for when it's cold and um, late season, there's like a, I think it's, isn't it 1,200 grain? Yeah, you, you've pretty much got all the layers. I do have, yeah, all of them. But yeah, but those are the warmest I've found because yeah, and the, my feet are always cold. Yeah, always. The, it doesn't matter. We found out that it's best to, you need to have multiple pair of boots. For all. Yeah. We hunt from sure. early to late, three, four months of the year. So you have to have all the different layers. Mm-hmm. But, but they're more, they're my favorite for sure. They're more of like um, a hiking type style boot, but just with the insulation. Gotcha. I tried okay. them out a few years ago, and and that seems to have been the warmest. Obviously, scent control is a huge factor. Is there any particular mm-hmm. shampoos or conditioners that you kind of use throughout the season to to reduce the scent? Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Bath and Body Works. Uh, I don't know, um, mm-hmm. gingerbread uh, pumpkin is not going to be your best. Option. Yeah. I know. Yeah, that's a tough one for me. And I have a, a really good friend. She, um, her and her husband are very, very serious into the bow hunting and scent and stuff. And, uh, you know, I would, you know, 
early in my hunting <laughs> career, I would like uh, try to slip in, you know, every once in a while I'd use the good stuff, you know, and just hope Josh shouldn't find out. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know if he even knows this, but some of the bucks, some of my best bucks I've shot on days that I used the bed. Yeah, <laughs> needless, needless to say, the wind, we had a good win. needless to say, the wind has to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there's several. Um, oh, I was gonna say about her. Um, but she actually, uh, she starts her scent-free regimen um, a month before deer season comes in, just to completely get all that scent out of her hair. And at first, I was like, Oh my gosh, are you crazy? You know. Um, but I started doing that, and the first year I started doing, it, I started seeing um, a lot more success. Like just you know, deer getting closer and not getting winded near as much at all. Um, but there's several um, good women's lines out there that um, don't tear up your hair as bad. Um, like the, uh, what's that one? The last one I was using. Nose jammer. Oh, yeah. I finally got him to, to let me try out some nose jammer this year. And uh, yeah, All she does is complain about how she spends all this money on her hair. I do. And then I run it then with I all the stuff. And then I make her use all the free products. And uh, I mean, in the last probably, I don't know, eight to ten years, you've been really good about it. But the yeah, couple I have. Years, the wind had to be perfect, and now you slowly get away with a lot more, a little bit more. It's just, you know, when there's two mm-hmm. people in a tree and um, women and their smelly good stuff, and then you have all the camera gear and everything else, it's, it's hard to get away yep. with anything. But, yeah, this year's that nose jammer. Yeah, and it still smells good. And it um, it definitely, my hair was a lot better. When I went back to um, get my hair done, my hairdresser, she was definitely like, oh, she's like, I can tell you've been doing something different. So. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Though. I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be brutal on, on a on a you know long hair and trying to run scent yeah. open. I mean, I've got short yeah. hair and it makes me feel like I'm just like disgusting on my hair whenever <laughs> you you repeatedly yeah. take a shower and that stuff. And I, I get what you're saying uh-huh. there. Is there any particular yeah. brand of of shampoo that you kind of lead towards as far as the scent free? Um, I, t- I tried a lot of different stuff. Um, I think the Dough Girl stuff. Um. So it went pretty good as far as like the conditioner goes. It was actually like felt like real conditioner, um, and it's, it's completely scent free. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but the nose jammer has been my favorite. Um, yeah, you guys that know me, I'm extremely anal oh my about God. my scent. Yes. And like back when I, I felt like I'd get away with murder back when I was hunting by myself. And then now <laughs> filming and her, it's just it's been tricky. Um, the wind has the thermals have to be right. The wind has to be right. There's no getting down in a bottle somewhere. Getting away with anything, swirling winds—that's for sure. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it just—it makes sense, you know. It, it just—it all adds up, and uh, in the end, it's something that, in reality, you got to focus on if you want to kill mature bucks. Oh yeah. Yep. Very good. Well, uh, I think we've covered a lot of ground there, Jade. Let's we have get in some hunting. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, guys, I asked you in the beginning to think of your most memorable deer hunt. Um, sometimes uh-huh. I'm sure that's going to be kind of hard for both of you. You probably had several memorable deer hunts, but I'm, I'm wondering if there's a couple that stuck out and I'd like to hear like the play by play, slow it down, real detailed type of uh, description of how this thing unfolded. And mm-hmm. I, I think, Chris, let's start with yeah. you. That's uh, where are we going to go on your hunt? Okay. Well, mine is um, in Kansas. Um, a few years ago, I shot what Josh was talking about, the curly, the 206. And it wasn't just my most memorable hunt because it was, you know, such a big deer. Because a lot of people say that, you know, of course, oh, of course, that's going to be her most memorable hunt, you know. Um, but, I mean, I just, I had a lot going on at that time. My stepbrother had um, just recently uh, tragically passed away. It was so sudden. And 
it was just um, something that just, you know, kind of ripped our family apart and just kind of made me feel like, um, you know, like I wasn't even excited about hunting that year. It was, it was just kind of a different year for us. And we had hunted in Indiana really hard and just, I mean, hadn't even seen a deer close. Like it was just ridiculous. And, um, and the opportunity came up to go to Kansas even earlier that year. And uh, we went out, we were filming, you know, just like normal and stuff. And I actually, that morning, um, took with me my um, my third brother's arrowhead um, that I had just, you know, to remember him. And um, I had it with me in my pocket that, that hunt. And <laughs> I remember I, I climbed up in that stand. And Josh, um, we actually had seen the buck that we were after. We'd seen Curly um, that day before. Mm-hmm. So we had just put that set up to um, kind of, you know, get more in, closer to his core area and be where he wanted to be. And I climbed up in that stand, and I whacked my head really good on that camera stand. And, oh, my gosh, I waited. I could not wait for Josh to get up to that stand, and I just let him have it. Like, I'm surprised we even seen a deer. Like, we didn't scare him all away. So I was like, are you kidding me, you know? And um, I'm not really a morning person. Like, honestly, the only reason I get up early is for deer hunting, really. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yep. But anyway, so, and I was just mad. And I was sitting there. I was just, you know, mad at the world. And I told Josh, I was like, I go, there's a deer. There's a deer. I'm like, it's a buck. I'm like, it's a pretty good buck. And he was like, okay, just get ready, you know. And, And it happened so quick. And um, he was like, that's him, that's him. And and uh, we were just watching the hunt the other day, and it cracks me up because, um, you know, there again, me with my ranging, you know, like, I mean, he's literally not even, like, 15 yards, you know, and I'm still, like, caught with my range finder in my hand. And, you know, we had done, like, minimal trimming, um, you know, because we didn't want to disturb that area or anything because we knew, I mean, that was, we were, like, in his bedding area right there, um, like, right in his bedroom. So we had cut on that side, like, literally one shooting hole. And, um, Josh stopped him and it was so funny when he stopped him, like his voice, it was like, you know, a little kid going through puberty or something. Like he was like, it was definitely a desperate man. It was very desperate. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you guys have seen the footage, um, it's, she had like this big toboggan on and she couldn't hear nothing I was saying. And I, <laughs> I was talking to her and I kept saying, draw. No, it wasn't like that. It was yeah, I mean, I think he could have, like, stole the boat from me and just shot. Like, I was, uh, well, I, I was see, stressing I, you I out. All, yeah, I could see it all unfolding, and I knew that deer was going to get to that hole. And once he got to that hole, that was the only hole she had. And he was so close. And she was just like, she was calm as a cucumber, though. I'm just like, what'd you say? I said, draw your I don't know if I was calm. Well, you, but... you, I mean, I'll never forget how calm you seemed. Anyway. <laughs> well, at and... least I seemed calm anyway. Of course, then I had to stop him, and I was just—it was so desperate. It was so funny. Yeah, well, it was some of the desperation. And then, and then it wasn't over. Then I mean, because when we stopped him, he had stopped with that um, the closest uh, shoulder, kind of back a little bit. And um, and I, I said this was Josh's fault because he said heart shoot, heart, you know, heart shot. And uh, so I, I mean, I held tight to that you know shoulder. And when he turned, um, I actually made you know a good shot. Like I actually slid it right behind the shoulder. But looking at the footage, and it didn't look like I got the greatest penetration. So. We thought I hit him in the shoulder, and then I was just a mess. I mean, I was just bawling my eyes out just because, you know, of everything I was going through at the time. And then just, you know, you have, you know, you know, a hunter, you just put that all that time into it. And, you know, it's not like there's just 200 deer everywhere or, you know, big deer everywhere. And then just to have it, that opportunity, and then just blow it completely. Like, I mean, I was just devastated, and I thought Josh was going to hate me because, you know, I was the one that got to shoot and not him. And but anyway, um, it was, we definitely had a moment, didn't we? I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was and then, um, and then I know you were just sitting there and you just kind of thought, well, um, you know, everything that's happened has been so crazy lately. Like, you know, it, it's going to work. Like we're going to find this deer, you know? 
And um, we just sat there together and prayed about it. And we backed out and gave him plenty of time. And, and um, we found him. And we went back and watched the footage. We did. And we felt better about that. Yeah. And, and the problem is why I was so, you know, I'm looking at a little bitty viewfinder. And when I looked at it, and by the time I raised my head and looked up, that arrow was just flopping. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was sure. And when she did, she'd hit the opposite shoulder, which ended up making for a great shot. Mm-hmm. But I was just, just for sure that's what you had done. Yeah. And I was sick to my stomach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we both were, really. We both were, yeah. And she broke down, and, you know, she had a moment there with everything that happened. Yeah. That's pretty cool. hmm Very nice. Yeah, it all Very cool. Well, Josh, how about your most memorable deer hunt? Or is it that one as well? You know, that was, that's definitely right there. Um, you know, I had so many good ones. Um, you know, that one was probably, you know, I don't know. I would have to probably say the first one. Uh, that one there, don't get me wrong, that was pretty crazy, and it was unexpected. I mean, we knew the deer was there, and we were going after him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to have it within the first couple of days, like that, mm-hmm. was pretty crazy. Uh, and there had already been some hunters that had already been in there for you know, nine days before we had got there. Um, so, you know, you, you just never know. But, again, those deer were there to see the walker in daylight a little more often and don't seem to get the pressure. But I'd say her first good buck uh, with a really? was pretty, uh, pretty memorable because, <laughs> you know, she had, it was crazy to go back to that. Um, it was funny because I killed that, my big, my big one in Indiana the year before, that was 2011. Mm-hmm. And so 2012, I told her, I said, she wanted to kill her first open young with a bow. And we've done a lot of gun hunt before that. Like mm-hmm. that was kind of her bow season, kind of my time. She'd still go, but that was when I went the most. And then gun season, I just commit the whole gun season to her. And she, that's when she'd always end up killing a good one most of the time. And she'd finally, in 2012, she was like, you know what? I really want to kill a, a Pope and Young, my first Pope mm-hmm. and Young. I said, all right, this, if there's ever going to be here, I'm going to commit my whole season to getting her a Pope and Young. It's going to be right after I kill the biggest deer I've ever killed. And uh, I said, let's <laughs> do it. Well, about the same time, that's when uh, the opportunity presented itself to do the all-women show. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, we wanted to come out of the gates and do well with that. And she also wanted to kill, you know, her first Pope and Young. Well, Season rolls around, you know, have a lot of ups and downs and this and that, and then it gets, you know, prime time. That's that, you know, November 7th time, mm-hmm. and it's rocking. And, uh, you know, I think it was November 5th, actually. It was the first, the first yeah. morning, mm-hmm. and we had about 130-inch deer come running in. You know, I still need to see this footage because I'm not, I don't know. So, yeah, I, I still makes me sick, but, you know, it all works out. <laughs> so, you know, she's wanting to shoot a, a P&Y, the first P&Y, and I rattle, and rattle his buck, and he's probably... But he's super tall, but he's just narrow. He's probably only 12 inches wide, but he's super tall. And he's at least he's all over gross in 130s. Mm. And he comes in to a tee, and I'm, you know, I, I hung my, the camera stand a little higher, so I couldn't communicate with her as normal. And she doesn't, she's barely, she's just barely picked up her bow off the bow hook. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, get ready, get, and this is in the spoil hills I, I kind of told you guys a little bit earlier about. So it's, it's there they are, and there they're gone, mm-hmm. like, just like that. And, um, and we, me and her got into it, and I, I said, <laughs> what in the world? I said, I, why didn't he? He wasn't big enough. He was maybe 100 inches. And I said, no, no, no. And she's she's going off on me, and I'm going off on her. And I said, that was a perfect buck. And a lot of guys out there that hunt with women understand that women are very, very picky. Like they are, they, like they set the bar so high right out of the gates. Right. Like us guys, we started off on four corns and six pointers and you know button bucks and everything else. So if it was brown, it was down. You know, and the women they come out of the gates and they're like as picky as can be. Like they gotta be, it's gotta be as big as your biggest buck. And they're like, you, you don't understand. This not, it just doesn't work out that way. So, and I'm telling her this the whole time. I'm working it up and working. I'm like, you, you got to understand, you know, you're first buck with a bow. I mean, it, who knows? You might miss the first six times. You know, you might get mm-hmm. buck fever and, you know, first good buck, shoot it. Well, so what a day, another day goes by mm-hmm. and we had some ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And so, and you're not feeling well. 
one day. I can't mm-hmm. Oh, no, so the, so the, the November 6th. It was the evening of November 6th. It was kind of nasty that night. Yeah. And we were hunting a, a thick set, and she lowered her bow down and got caught off in some brush. Yeah. I kind of remember a little bit. Yeah. And I didn't think nothing about it. We went the next morning, and usually we're like, we're super anal about checking everything. Mm-hmm. When we get in the stand the next morning, we're, sh- we're pulling back, making sure grunt tubes, range finders, nothing's in the way, no no collar on the jacket's going to get in the way. Make sure okay, we, we kind of game plan. Okay, we're going to shoot them here, and then we're going to stop them here. And we didn't do that that morning, which mm-hmm. was kind of because I mean, you weren't feeling well. Mm-hmm. And we went back home, and you went to class, and yep. you got done, and I said, okay, we got to get back out there. And I'm going to shoot first. Yeah, so let's go shoot a couple arrows first, yep. make sure everything's still good. Mm-hmm. And we got out there, and she draws back to shoot. And she goes, what in the world? And I said, what, what? She lets down, and her top pin from that night before when we lowered down the brush, her top pin had bent completely backwards. Mm. And here we are, it's November 7th, we need to be in the tree, it's overcast, it's one of those killing evenings, high pressure, and I'm like, we got to get in the tree, what are we going to do? So now I'm like, what do I do? Do I, hey, do we just not go tonight, you know, fix the, you know, drop, take that pin out and push all the pins, bring all the pins up, and you know, what do we do? Right. And then I'm like, doing reset in or what? Well, and that? I hate that. I hate to reset my bow. In this particular site at the time, it had a uh, like a metal housing around the fiber. Yep. And I thought, well, just let me try and see if I can't bend this back. The fiber hadn't broken yet. Yep. So I slowly start bending it back, and I just get it back in place, and it starts to kind of can open on the other side. Ah. And the fiber is still still good, but it's but it you know it's kind of broke on the one side. So if you even touch it again, it's probably going to snap off. Right. So I'm like, let's just try it just for tonight. She shot. Dead nuts, 20 yards. I said, at least we can go hunting tonight. Because the rest of the pins were good. It was just that pin. Mm-hmm. And I ain't kidding you. We, were, we got in the stand, and we were in the stand 45 minutes. Yeah. And 171 inch deer comes cruising. And you would have thought this deer comes across the field, comes marching across this field. This mm-hmm. November 7th, there's a field full of does over there. He comes marching. We've not done it. We, we, we hadn't yeah. called. We hadn't no. done nothing. And this deer comes marching across the field as if I rattled and grunted. And he comes to the base of the tree. Mm-hmm. She shoots him at like 12 yards, like a half walk. Hits him, hits him just a little high and a little back because he took a full step right when she shot, mm-hmm. and and it, but you could see blood instantly. Mm-hmm. And he's real, he was crazy looking deer. He is, uh, yeah, like real non typical on one side and the big four by on the other yeah, side, one. super tall. He takes off running up the hill, and this is her first deer, the first buck she's ever shot with her bow. It's a hundred and seventy one <laughs> inch deer, and I've been telling her about how she needs to you know, shoot these one thirties and get it out, you know, get it off her belt and get her first camera deer and this and that. Right. And here's this deer takes off and he stops. Where she's going nuts, she's freaking out, and I thought he was a little bigger at the time than he was even at, even then. Mm-hmm. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh my god, you don't know what you just shot. Mm-hmm. She goes, I didn't look at the horns. I just I just no. focused on the shot. No. Focused on the shot. <laughs> As we're talking, and all of a sudden you hear a crash uh-huh. about what 60 yards away, and she she looked at me and she knew. Yeah. She looked at my eyes and she come unglued. <laughs> it was it was <laughs> awesome, yeah. man. It was one of the coolest feelings as a coach, as a husband. And you, you've practiced it and you try to teach her, like, when you're practicing, how to stay, like, mentally in the game. Like, this isn't just practicing in the backyard. Like, yeah. practicing for the moment. Right. And to keep it cool and calm. And uh, and then see it all unfold and see it all come together on that uh-huh. first, not only our first Pope and Young, but, a, you know, 170 gross boom buck. Yeah. And it's first buck with a bow. It was, that was an awesome moment. It really was. It was. It was fun. And then. The sure together. Yeah. And what was funny was, so that spot um, that I shot that buck, uh, we call, called it like My Little Honey Hole because it was on that lease property that we talked about. It was kind of like, you know, not public, but it is. Um, but it was, it was just a 25 acre little piece. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. Yep. And not a lot of the guys knew that um, that was part of the lease, but the ones that did were kind of like, oh, we'll just let her have it, you know, and let her go hunt there. And, um, 
and I had shot my fair share of those in that spot. And and yeah. Josh, um, he worked at an archery shop close to there then. Mm-hmm. And I'd call him every time, and I'd be like, I just smoked this doe. You need to come drag her out. Yep. And he would come, and, you know, we'd trail blood. And he's For about like, 100 yards. Yeah. Yards and he's like, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't smoke it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, anyway, so when we found um, that buck, it was like my little doe graveyard. We found all these doe skulls. And I'm like, see, babe, I did shoot them. Like, I smoked them. <laughs> yeah, it's not as good as I thought. <laughs> yep. yeah, it was, kind of it funny, was, wasn't it? Was it was pretty crazy. Because it was only like a 25-acre piece. So it was pretty, yeah. like a little sanctuary. And it seemed oh, like yeah. they always, and it, it was right next to a, a piece that uh, the guy, he was always out in this yard. Like, he was, he kind of farmed the ground a little bit. But he was mm-hmm. one of those guys that, like, picked up every stick in his woods. Yep. It's kind of like a, an urban area, really. Yeah. Um, just outside a, a town there mm-hmm. it's kind of like an urban slasher and the deer were just kind of used to this guy all the time every day oh, yeah. hmm. and he'd be out she'd be, she'd be texting me all the time and this guy is like 60 yards with me on his tractors you know, from me and I'm like yeah. just get, you know we still got two hours for dark it's yeah. cool just be okay, patient. Right. and then, it was just really the doe spot I mean that was just yeah. kind of where she learned and yeah she shot a couple does that uh, she learned the hard way you know once mm-hmm. again shot angles and things you, the hard yeah. the hard lessons you learn when you're a bow hunter and um and it's just funny. That's where she ended up shooting at the it time. Was her, at yeah. the time, it was her biggest buck, yeah. let alone a bow. Yeah. Um, and it'd, it'd be, you know, on a small, you know, we shoot a lot of big deer on small tracks. Um, you know, at least in Indiana, you got to kind of think outside the box. And so a lot of those, I don't want to really call them urban ground. It's just mm-hmm. like life, just on the edge of urban ground where you start to get, you know, 80 acres here, 60 acres here, or 20 acres here. That's maybe it's got a factory or maybe it's got, you know, a, a major highway, a big park, mm-hmm. things like that. That's People, where we have our most luck. Most luck because I think that's what we're used to. Because mm-hmm. um, in Kansas, that setup where I killed Curly, um, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Because like you know, we get all this set up, and I'm like, we could see the gravel road. Like, I mean, how far do you think we were? Like maybe uh, we were probably 75 yards. Right, yeah, from the gravel road and a house with a dog barking yeah, his head off. Yeah, the house and whole, <laughs> whole road worth 120 yards. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm like, "Josh, are you serious? Like we're hunting Kansas, like you know, one of the best states to hunt." And I'm like, "And we're still hunting like by this house and by the gravel road." <laughs> Yeah, and we weren't we weren't really hunting a lot of deer. We were just hunting one particular. Yeah. And a six, you know, seven and a half year old deer had learned that that was a safe, the safest place to be. And uh, it's just funny how those big deer mm-hmm. they figured out real quick where nobody else was at. Right. But, right. Wow. We that's got a way good off story. track on that. Question. Yeah. Sorry, guys. We kept yeah. off. No, it's okay. <laughs> it was it's a great tangent, but what a it's a it's a great story. It's really cool. Yeah, we love it. That's for sure. Very nice. We ready for a ten rapid, Jay? I think we are. Do you want to cover that? You you want me to uh, hit? It? On it. We're gonna start. Uh, we'll start with Josh, and then we'll go. As soon as Josh Angels, we'll switch over to Kristen. Maybe we'll switch it up and let uh, Kristen go first, and then Josh. But uh, okay. number one, best hunting tip. Whoa! Practice, practice, practice. That is. Uh, there's just no shortcut for hard work. Um, just you cannot practice enough. Practice just like you're gonna hunt. Um, Practice, still mine. That's what practice, I was going to say. Practice always hunting situations and every <laughs> every hairy hunting situation that you could possibly get in. You can't be ever. You can't ever be over prepared. Very good, Kristen. What's your number one hunting tip? Well, since Josh stole mine, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think just have fun. I mean, you know, the biggest thing out there is that you're. I mean, you're out there because you're doing something that you love and you're so passionate about. And you know, sometimes we could all get so hard on ourselves and like, you know, just have you know a string of bad luck and like, why is this not working out? So I think the main thing is just you know to have fun with what you're doing. Very good. Kristen, one thing that you cannot go hunting without, other than a firearm or anything like that, you got any one uh, lucky charm or something that you cannot go, you feel naked um, without it in the woods? <laughs> Definitely my rain. 
range finder. Uh, like I talked about before, I'm a compulsive clicker. So uh, if I didn't have that with me, I definitely, I'd be lost for sure. <laughs> uh, Josh, what's your one thing you cannot hunt without? Oh, it's, it's, it's no doubt. It's my Nikons. I gotta, you gotta have good glass. I mean, never, I see these guys that go out deer hunting all the time and, and no offense if you guys do, but uh, without having good optics, man, gosh, I don't know how, um, how guys can do it. I mean, I have, uh, I've picked things apart like crazy with, uh, glass very good well josh what's your biggest pet peeve in life my biggest pet peeve um you know what it's probably not to get on the negative side of things but it's 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 a lot of the hunters um that are feeding against amongst each other like you know dude we're, we're all on the same team guys i mean uh, everybody especially on social media is the worst it seems like um i see a lot of uh, separation within the hunting industry or the hunting communities on social media outlets and stuff it's like we need to join together and be on the same team. We're all trying to do the same thing here, so we need to support each other. That's probably my biggest pet peeve. I hate to see, I hate to see people, other hunters, hating on other hunters. You know. Yeah, makes sense. Kristen, what's your biggest pet peeve in life? Um, I think just the biggest thing is like rude people and people just not treating people nice because they think, oh, they're nobody. Whenever really, I think that you should treat everybody the way you want to be treated, and you know, you just never know maybe who that person really is or how that might uh, benefit you to be nice to them. Very good. Josh, uh, how old are you today? <laughs> I am 33 today. 33. What would the 33-year-old Josh tell the 23-year-old Josh, knowing what you know today? You know, probably um, have more fun and, and kind of enjoy the ride a little bit more. The moment we get so caught up and so competitive in it, um, in you know, we try to be humble or whatever, but at the same time, you know, you need to learn to have a little bit more fun with it. This is, you know, um, it's just our nature, some of us, to be so competitive. But, you know what, just sit back and have a good time with it. Get it, get kids involved with – I'd love to get even more kids involved and, and more um, people that have never had a chance to be introduced to the outdoors. I'd like to get them more involved. Gotcha. Well, that's great. Uh, Kristen, you talked that Josh was so much older than you, so Kristen, 25. Mm-hmm. And- <laughs> <laughs> 25 years old, yeah. Kristen. What yeah. would you tell uh, the 20-year-old Kristen? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think just to um to just kind of relax and not be so stressed out. You know, like I always think that things have, have to happen right away and exactly the way I want them to. And I think just to kind of, um, you know, just kind of let things slide and just, you know, realize that things are going to work out and not always the way you want them to, um, but the way that God has it planned for you, that it's always going to, Things are always going to work out and just not to stress out too much. Gotcha. Josh, you meet a, a stranger at a convention in the lobby, at the hotel, or in the elevator. What, they ask what you do for a living. What do you say? <laughs> uh, I just say, you know, we work in the hunting industry. We work in uh, retail slash hunting industries slash archery tech, bow tech. Been wrenching on bows since, since high school. So. Same question, Kristen. You you meet a stranger in the lobby of a hotel or in the elevator at a convention. They ask what you do for a living. What do you say? I say I do whatever I have to do so that I can hunt as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, makes, that makes sense. Yeah. What, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a couple chewy bars, peanut butter and chocolate chips, and some Ignite. I live on that stuff, that Mountain Optic Ignite. I, I'm kind of like Josh about the coffee without that in the morning. I had a couple yogurt bars this morning, uh, and of course, a couple cups of coffee. And, real tree uh, coffee? Yeah, yeah, I had the real tree bags. Double <laughs> caffeine. Yeah, so he was extra spunky today. Yeah, I got some of the other regular, <laughs> like medium uh, real tree, but 
here lately, I've had to whip out the, the double caffeinated for sure. <laughs> Turkey season's been a long grind, man. <laughs> Kristen, you get your own billboard, a blank canvas. You can put anything uh-huh. on it you want to. What would it say? Uh, follow your arrow. Josh, you get uh, your own billboard, blank canvas, on the side of the interstate, wherever, in town, wherever. What would it say? Oh, it'd probably say... It'd say, my wife is the best. <laughs> <laughs> it would say... It would say, aim small, miss small. Gotcha. Very good. I say that... Uh, Kristen, we'll go with you. I say the word successful. Who's the first person that pops in your mind and why? Um, Definitely my grandpa. Um. He has worked his butt off his whole life, and um, he he had big dreams and stuff when he was younger. He wanted to be a pilot, and, um, he, you know, it was kind of just his uh, dad had been a farmer, so it was kind of just, you know, destined for him to take over the family farm, and, oh, gosh, I think he's been on a tractor ever since he could probably um, <laughs> walk, probably, um, and he just really showed me that, you know, with with hard work, you know, you could achieve anything, and, and I, I think he's... For me, the definition of success, like, I mean, um, you know, just seeing like what, when you set out and you have these goals and then just really finishing them and, and just seeing them through. Very cool. Josh, I say the word successful. Who's the first person that pops in your mind and why? You know, I'd probably say my old man, you know, um, he's, he's been a uh, fan, you know, he introduced me to the outdoors at a very young age and, uh, gosh, I just, I owe him everything, um, just because of the fact, you know, he didn't have to drag around a little snot notes those kid everywhere he went uh he could have went out and had a good time and, and you know hunted on his own and, and waited till i got uh you know old enough to do it on my own but uh he introduced me at eight years old at a very young age and, and i've been i've been obsessed with it ever since and he's still you know, he's been a carpenter his whole life man the dude just grinds away i mean he loves to work mm-hmm. and uh to see how well to how much he loves to work and get up every single day to go to work enjoy doing what he does it kind of drove me to kind of follow my dreams and um you know work uh, it's not work when you love it and you're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of, I kind of held to that, you know, I'm 33 years old and I'm just, uh, I just refuse to just work a normal nine to five, slaving away, hating life every day. And I learned that from him. And, uh, that's about the best thing he's ever taught me. Very good. Josh, what's a day in your life look like? Oh gosh, you know, I get up, you know, during the hunting season, you know, we, the hunting seasons come, gosh, you know, it seems like they're here and gone. Mm-hmm. But when they get here, we're, you know, we hunt just about every day that we can. If we're tagged out, I'm taking somebody else. I'm taking a youth hunter, a new begin, new hunter. Somebody maybe doesn't have as much, um, hasn't had the opportunities. So when it's hunting season, it's, it's never stopping. There's always tags to be filled, somebody else's tags. Um, so I'm either doing that or, like now, it's starting to slow down a little bit for us. I mean, we're on tags and we can't, we're not really going to do much more on state hunting uh, this spring just because of the shop and stuff. But, you know, right now we're getting up early. We're going to go grind. We're going to go to the gym. We're going we're gonna to eat breakfast, whatever. But we're going to go to the gym, work out, get that stuff out of the way. Then we're going to come to the shop, grind here, head back home, and, and, and do it all over again the next day. Very good. Kristen, what's a day in your life look like? Um, well, I get out at um, like 6 o'clock, take all the dogs out. We have three dogs for our kids. Get them all fed, taken care of. And then I head to the gym and um, work out. And then go home and just try to get everything done that needs to be done um, there for the day, which seems like a long list right now since we're getting our house ready to put on the market. And then um, our shop opens up at 1 o'clock, so um, we're about 45 minutes from the shop now. So um, about noon, we uh, head over um, to the shop and then work all day. And like you said, just then go to bed and do it all over again. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a lot more stuff, though, doesn't it? Like that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Josh sort of answered this one, but our last and final question of our 10 rapid fire is what's a 
hunting day in your life look like? You want me to go? Go for it. It's all you. Well, sure. um, okay, it starts, um, you know, Josh gets up and he has to yell at me probably, um, I don't know how many times, how many times do you think he is? Oh, oh God. This trip has been the best. You know, time. and it's not that I'm not, like, I'm just not a morning person and it's not that I'm not excited to go hunting. It's like, honestly, I just don't hear him until, like, maybe the, I don't know, third or fourth time he says my name. Five minutes not, before we gotta leave. I have a really hard sleeper, yeah. So, um, so yeah, he finally gets me up and I only need, like, ten minutes to get ready and... It is. It's only ten minutes. <laughs> it's been long enough. I mean, still, I'm still girly, so I mean, I still have to have time to, to whatever I'm gonna do with my hair, straighten my hair, curl my hair, whatever, and put on a little bit of makeup because I'm doing everybody a favor. Nobody wants to see me on camera with no makeup. <laughs> and then uh, we're out the door, and oh gosh, we pretty much all day sits, or at least uh, we're sitting, and then just get down to the day, and then um, yeah, and go to bed and do it all over again. Mm-hmm. Very good. And I'll just take that as an answer for both of you. Okay. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> that completes the 10 rapid fire. Great, uh, great answers. Some interesting questions. Sounds good. That was excellent. Very, very nice. Thank you. you guys, this has been an absolute honor and pleasure having you on the show. It's uh, it learned a lot about you and where you're hunting. It's just fantastic. And thanks for sharing a few little tips and secrets there that, that uh, I think a lot of people will be able to use in their own repertoire of hunting techniques and just had a really good time talking to both of you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah, us. Well, those two are a lot of fun, I have to say. Oh, no doubt about it. It's amazing how you can you can read the bond between each other. They're, uh, you know, a great relationship and, and um, you can just hear it when Josh talks, you know, Kristen pays attention and vice versa. It's, it's pretty neat, really. Mm-hmm. Yep, and they, they cut up on each other, but they have a respect for each other's skill set for sure. And sounds like uh, sounds like Kristen is starting to get out on her own a little bit more. And uh, even though she likes that that uh, security blanket of having Josh around to take the shot to just know that she's taking the right shot, I think she's kind of breaking away from that a little bit. Uh, I just I think they're a great couple, and I, I'm glad to see that they're still out there doing it. That they're exploring all the avenues from and not just doing their own TV show, but kind of being that journeyman where they're going from show to show or recording content for different shows. I think that's pretty smart. And, of course, now they have their archery shop, which I'm sure will keep them busy uh, for a very long time. Uh, No doubt about it, for sure. So, Dusty, do you have a Chubby Tines tip of the week this week? Yeah, I do, Jay, and it's, uh, you know... The Chubby Tines tip of the week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morsessportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. Trail cameras are starting to come out, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say uh, it's, it's one that I talked about a long time ago, and uh, I'd like to refresh on that just by uh, talking about angles of your trail camera. And, you know, a lot of people put them waist high, just chest high, somewhere in that general area for your deer, and, you know, uh, sometimes that's not always the best choice. If you got a tree that you can, you know, carry a little aluminum stepladder in and get up just a little bit higher and get you uh, a wedge and angle that, that trail camera down onto the deer as they pass by so that that flash is not right in your face. Even though you may be using a red flash uh, or a black flash, there's always some kind of illumination. And then big mature bucks are going to pay attention to that. And even though they're just growing velvet now, just in the starting stages of uh, the antler growth, it's still uh, a good practice to get into, to get that that uh, 
camera placed up in the tree on a little bit of an angle and just get that uh, aerial photo down onto the deer versus letting it flash right in their face. Because, you know, nine times out of ten, big mature bucks going to pick up on that camera and walk right around it every time. Very good, man. That's uh, that's very smart. Uh, as usual, you deliver something very intelligent to the Chubby Tines Tip of the Week. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, I'd like to say thank you to all of our sponsors on this show. Thank you to Morris's Sporting Goods for sponsoring the Chubby Tines Tip of the Week. And thank you to Advanced Takedown Tree Stands, the HB Seed Company, Covert Scouting Cameras, and the Eurohanger. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here on the microphone with me? Of course, you can shoot me an email, Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com. You can look me up on Facebook, Chubby Tines Outdoors, at Chasing Antler on Instagram and Twitter. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Best place, uh, as I had mentioned before, is an email, Jay at BigBuckRegistry.com. You can shoot me guest suggestions there. You can shoot me suggestions for the show. You can shoot me improvements or things you liked or did not like about this show. All that is is right there for the in an email or can all that can be accomplished by email. If you'd like to check out our flagship Facebook page, it's bigbuckregistry.com forward slash Facebook. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Big Buck Registry. And you can check us out on YouTube where we're sharing all of our videos, whether they're the podcast themselves, where you can actually listen to the podcast on YouTube or any of the videos that we've done either on our live set which occurs on Thursday nights at 8.30, or any of the interviews we've done outside of this show, whether it be at a convention or wherever. So all that's right there on YouTube. You can listen to the show on multiple podcast directories, whether it's Lipson or iTunes or Stitcher or iHeartRadio or TuneIn Radio. Many different apps are available on multiple devices, multiple mobile devices. So there is no reason why you can't find us because we do spread ourselves out everywhere. Dusty, I think that's a wrap, my friend. It's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. Well, I'm Dusty Phillips. And I'm Jay Scott. This is another great episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait. Can't wait.